Hey, hey, thank you so much for tuning in. And welcome back for another episode of the Reinvention Roadmap. Really excited about the guest this week. She is also a fellow podcaster. She's a student based in California, and she's studying cognitive sciences. And outside of tech, her heart truly belongs to content creation. Her podcast, called The Black Enterprise Network, features black stories in tech, and she has a YouTube channel, and her podcast is available on all major plat platforms. Please welcome to the show, Kimiko James. Hey, Kimiko, thank you so much for joining. Really nice to have you. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. Always nice to meet fellow shippers for the first time and actually connect outside of Twitterverse. So yeah, thanks for inviting me. For those who don't know, shippers uh, is a term for anyone who has done the Ship 30 for 30 cohort. I will put a link for the cohort in the description of this episode. So do you prefer Miko or Kimiko? We'll, we'll use Miko because yeah. that, that's the name of my Twitter. So we'll use that. Yeah, it's a very unique name. And is that a Japanese name by any chance? Yeah, yeah, it's Japanese, but there's like no, you know, there's no cool origin story to it. It's <laughs> just my mom wanted to name me something unique compared to like all the other kids names out there in the 90s, I guess. So, <laughs> yep. so yeah, not Japanese either, if anybody was curious. Yeah, I lucked out on my name as well because I have uh, an Indian name that's easy to pronounce because Indian names get butchered in the U.S. So Sushil is nice. Yeah, they, they do get butchered. Like, <laughs> like working in tech, I always like <laughs> I ask before I try. And and yeah, it's it's kind of hard sometimes. But, you know, as long as people are willing to get it right, uh -huh. then that's that's all that matters. But yeah, they really do butcher Indian names, unfortunately. Even with my name, it's been... Sometimes they don't just get it. They just stop trying. It's literally sushi with an L, but still people struggle. So anyway, moving on. Tell me more about your podcast. How did you come up with this theme about the Black Enterprise Network? Yeah, it's a kind of a two-part story, which I'll try to shorten it as much as possible for time's sake. But basically, in 2019, I interned at Slack Technologies, you know, the it's really still hard to summarize what it is sometimes but just the platform that makes it easy to message for work mm -hmm. and collaboration communities whatever and yeah i did i did software engineering and for me i feel like i was truly lucky to have such a diverse team at a diverse company like out of a thousand people i felt like at every single floor i saw people that looked like me like black engineers or black whatever in tech and, and it felt really good but at the same time there were other interns that weren't so lucky at different in at different companies that I knew of of like yeah my rate my manager is kind of giving me microaggression vibes or he's just racist or this company doesn't care when Juneteenth comes around it's a national black holiday mm -hmm. and yeah my, I was kind of closed-minded because things are great for me but it's really terrible for other people and I did notice that in tech there is a really big diversity problem as well as other problems and there, there's a lot that goes into it. It's more than just companies not hiring people like us. It stems from like the beginning of where you come from, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that's, that's not the point of this story. The point is I just kind of noticed these things around me and I felt like there was nothing I could do about it. So fast forward to 2020 when the pandemic is happening, I returned to Slack doing software engineering again, but as a different kind of intern. And yeah, we, we all saw what happened if, if you're in the U.S. Mm. with the Black Lives Matter movement and George Floyd and a bunch of other intense stuff that happened last summer. And for me, 
I guess everybody, we have all this quote unquote free time to just think about things and think about trying things and different projects. And something that has always been on my mind was just like starting a podcast. I, I didn't know what I was going to start it on or anything. And even before the pandemic, it was on my mind, but I felt this kind of intense fear. I don't know what it was, but I guess just putting your voice out on the internet forever really scared me. Mm. And personally, I was very self-conscious about my voice because I hate my voice. <laughs> but but I the point is I really just started it because I want other Black people and Black tech community, whatever, to be inspired by stories of people that are engineering managers, people that are engineers, they're product managers, they're in these really big higher up roles that pay really well and have leadership roles that we don't often see with with black people. And I, I just want people to be inspired with that because there, there's just so much imposter syndrome if you're in this position and to have someone, you know, make it and share their story from the bottom to the top. I think it, it really makes a difference. So that that's basically what inspired the idea. Yeah. And I, I, I can totally empathize with the situation and I understand like the fire and the anger that happened last year because I, I was still in the US at the time. I was just about moving back to India and the George Floyd thing happened and it was terrible. And I'm glad that you're able to take this tragedy and turn it into something that is inspirational for so many black children and, and black teenagers who want to get into college and actually get out of the system, which is very rigged and difficult to break out of. So it's amazing that you have a voice promoting this kind of thing. And I also understand what it's it's probably like to be in a work environment and not... It's it, That imposter syndrome is really a thing because you might think, am I good enough? Or am I getting promoted for the way I look? Or am I just someone's bottom line? And I think it's good to share stories and, and let people know they are there because they're good at what they do. So that's awesome. Yeah, like it, it's definitely more than just like inspiring the younger generation. Because again, that's what people assume it, it, it is. But no, we, we inspire people to like say, you don't have to stay in this job if it's making you uncomfortable. Even if it pays well, there's always something better. If things suck at Facebook, you can literally just go somewhere else and have the same pay and probably better work-life balance, for example. And speaking to college students, speaking to working professionals, you know, it's you can start a company if you'd like. And these are just certain things that are told through these stories. So, yeah. It's amazing. I like that because it's uh, very much on theme of reinvention. If you don't like your job, mm -hmm. if you don't like what you're doing, then you can always change it. And that's the kind of message that we're trying to promote here as well. So you have an interesting story that I, I read some of your bio, which said that you didn't actually start out in, in tech in college and uh, you gravitated towards it. So talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, it it just happens by accident. <laughs> I won't make it a running theme, but yeah, that's a it's a common story for black people that fall in the tech. No one thinks about apps and how they're made. No one thinks about phones and laptops and how they're made. And for me, I I really I came into college, UC Davis 2016, wanting to do biological sciences because I wanted to be a forensic scientist because I loved watching crime shows and it was pretty cool. I was never grossed out by that stuff and I was like, "Ah, yes." I would like to do that as a job. 
And then I guess everyone has this realization after taking a few classes of like, oh my gosh, no, I don't want to do this anymore. And for me, that was taking chemistry and just being like, I can't do four years of this. I will die. (laughs) And I just discovered this guy coding in my English class and the rest is history. Like I, I tried a few computer science classes on campus found out that there's more interesting things you can do outside of basic terminal work at school. Like you can make websites if you wanted to right now. It's pretty easy. You can make a iOS app if you wanted to. It's just the amount of creativity I got. Well, the amount of creativity I put into everything I made was just, it, it was really fun at the time. But after a while, I realized it just wasn't for me. And I, after a few years, you can't force something if it's bringing you down and you're not motivated to do it anymore. So I fell in love with it, but then I fell out of love with it. And now we're kind of just on different paths. That's cool. Your tech origin story is a lot better than mine. Mine was more like, look at your cousin. (laughs) He works at Microsoft. You should also work for Microsoft someday. And Yeah, I've heard of that too. (laughs) And I, I lived the brown dream. I mean, Indian brown dream. And, and then it wasn't for me. And it's great that you talk about this, that trying something and the more you force it, the harder it is to make it stick. And then you'll end up in a very uh, dark place. So I think it's good to know what you want to do and pursue that. Yeah, like with, with tech, it's it's very easy to fall into this trap <laughs> of just wanting of just staying in it even though you you hate it so much and getting up is just a pain because i mean i talked about it with a friend months ago of like you know facebook it's just i'm using as example i haven't worked at facebook Mm -hmm. but i know their salaries are really really high (laughs) you can make half a million dollars being a senior level software engineer or something and i even thought about it i was like i could be making that much and still be so miserable (laughs) because i hate the work i'm doing so it's easy to get get wrapped up in the salary and just forget about your values and what you truly care about. Yeah. I think the money trap is real. It's it's nice initially. I think once you reach that, I read it somewhere that once you reach like a certain level where all your needs are met, throwing more money at the problem is not really going to make you happier or uh, it's not really going to solve that underlying problem of why we're feeling unfulfilled. So well said. Tell me more about your internship at Slack. What was it like? Uh, Was that your first internship as a software engineer? Yeah, yeah. 2019 wasn't in person. So, you know, a very, very different dynamic than remote. But yeah, in in person, it was was my first ever software engineering internship doing front end. My first everything. My first time working in San Francisco intense sometimes because of the amount of tech bros and all this other stuff but it's like i always felt like i was welcome i could genuinely be my authentic self that these other companies promote but they don't mean it (laughs) and yeah it was a it was a good time and to be honest the next summer i was yeah i i just had this dream of working at slack for five plus years or something because it just seemed that great of a company to me but that, that did not happen at all <laughs> because it's a, like I said, the, the pandemic has really shifted how I think about things and how I go about things and my values. And I got to say, I was pretty miserable working 40 hours a week in my bedroom hmm. during during the pandemic, or at least 
the thick of the pandemic last summer. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, wow, I really don't like software engineering. And I really don't like this kind of structure because again, I loved my team. I love the company, but certain team members were just working past five. Sometimes they'd work on the weekends. Sometimes they'd tell me to work and study on the weekends because I was struggling. And it, it was, it was just a really, really rough time. And for me, it sucks to not get a return offer, but at the same time, it really opened my eyes of like, you know, I can't force this anymore. No matter how much I like the people, no matter how much I like the company, I just can't force myself to do this any longer. And that's okay. Because there will, there will be something else, whether that's a company, startup, whatever. There's so many other opportunities beyond Slack. And yeah, so working there, pretty great company culture if you're interested I, I'd recommend it. I always recommend it. <laughs> Unfortunately, I always play the comparison game with friends <laughs> with their companies, but good experience overall. It's natural. I, I didn't have an undergrad experience in the US, but it's easy to get caught in that comparison trap because I, I went to NC State for my master's. I got into a good company and the pay was good, but then there's always someone who makes more money and you feel that you should have that job or you get in that trap and that's, I don't know, it's been a road to misery for me personally. So I'm so glad that you're figuring it, this out while you're still in college because you could be in a position where you're doing it 10 years from now. And kudos to you for that. What are you planning to do next from a tech perspective? Or are you looking to move out of tech? Hmm. We'll say work in progress. <laughs> because uh... Always. As like I, as why I said with my Slack story, I had plans to be at the, that company after graduation, and that that did not happen. And I feel like most of my life, and most people still do it, but it's something you just have to grow out of gradually. Is we have all these plans, we have all these set paths for ourselves, mm. and we just hope everything goes as it should or as we think it should. And then when it doesn't happen, it's just like a, just a really big catastrophe of feelings going on it's like well what do i do next so for me personally with tech i i will say and i can say this because i don't care <laughs> <laughs> i'm just gonna be in it temporarily because i know for the long term it's not what i want for myself like i do envision myself doing my podcast in the long term because it's a community i'll always care about the black tech community mm -hmm. as far as myself being in it I just personally don't want to <laughs> like it, it's a it's just a big ball of stress for me to go through recruiting season and then figure out who's being fake who's not being fake because I, I just had a really bad experience at this company that I thought was going to be great for me but it was not and it's just like a it's really a big back and forth with tech like it's it's great once you get in but then once you're in it's like you have to interview the company for the next six months like you shouldn't give yourself to the company. And that was my mistake. I gave myself to Slack. I gave myself to this previous company. But in the long run, these are big corporations that will replace you if you die. <laughs> so for me, I know I'm very dark. I know, I'm sorry. But in summary, I just, I don't see it for me. So after graduation, maybe I'll take on one of these PM product management roles because that's a bit, it's more chill to me than software engineering, in my opinion, and I just did one. But otherwise, the long-term goal is to just be a creative entrepreneur. 
Like, I, I don't know what that entails, but that's what I would like to do full-time in the future. Yeah, and a lot of uh, what you mentioned is true in terms of interviewing for tech is so stressful. You have to do cracking the coding interview and lead code and spend hours like chasing after this this dream. For those who are listening, I'm doing air quotes. <laughs> and um, and then it's not really your dream. You realize that it's it's not working. And and you and I've had instances of the classic bait and switch happening where everyone is like, "Oh, this is this is the company. Yes, come work for us." And then, then you get screwed once you join. So it happens. And yeah. if you go around the block a couple of times with tech, you realize that maybe it's not for me. The advantage is that you're starting early, so it's good to know what you like at this stage. I'll just finish by saying, like, everybody's different. Like, there are people, and you probably met these people, that genuinely love tech. They love their 9 to 5, and that that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. But for me, and maybe a lot of others, just the mental strain that you have to go through. Like you said, the hours of studying... And there is a bit of luck to these interviews. <laughs> uh, oh, definitely. Yeah, it would be nice to get a le- a easy question, but that doesn't always happen. And with friends, I remember this happening quite a bit. Interviewing for Microsoft because they interview tons of people in September in these different rooms on college campuses. Mm-hmm. Your friend might get an easy question. You might get a medium <laughs> or hard level question. It's like, oh my God, why me? Yeah. So to just go through all that and then get the the offer, you're like, as we'll take the offer and then it's like you're stuck but that that's just been my experience with it i mean i'll be stuck for maybe two to three years if that but after that i, I just want to be on my own to be honest <laughs> you're stuck till the stock vests <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> at least that's the way i saw it but you're right like interviewing is so challenging and, and the luck is a real factor because i interviewed with amazon like four times and I didn't get in a single time but maybe I wasn't supposed to join the dark side but that's probably it but again like Microsoft interview went really well and a couple of other companies when I was in college they went well so sometimes you just get on a roll like you might like end up with three offers in a week and don't rule that out it's just you'll be surprised what can come up yeah yeah yeah, definitely takes a ton of resilience. I'll say that mm-hmm. much. <laughs> you seem uh, more like uh, an extroverted person as well. Uh, you're not? Okay. <laughs> maybe that's... No. Maybe I, <laughs> I was so wrong on that <laughs> no. one. No, I thought you, uh, no, you would be. No, continue. Because, yeah, continue. Uh, I thought you could be because you have a podcast and you post a video commentary on uh, YouTube. So it seems like it's more outward with content creation. So that's why I thought. Uh, you might be and which is why I felt like maybe product management and people skills will come in in that department but yeah sorry for misjudging (laughs) no no it's fine I I have a video coming out on that soon too because I I wrote an atomic essay for it and for through ship 30 well ship 30 for 30 whatever I, I wrote an atomic essay about it like misconceptions on being an introverted creator and yeah, it's it's really funny. People do think I'm extroverted. My manager at Slack thought I was extroverted each time I had to tell her, "No, I'm I'm not. <laughs> I really I really don't like being around people. <laughs> I just be by myself." And I think I think that's the misconception of it of like yeah, 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 introverts just really need 
time to recharge, but they can do this stuff if they want to. It just takes practice and getting yourself out of your comfort zone. But then again, every introvert's different. Like there are introverts that I know that like networking and going out to clubs and stuff, but I'm just like, I'd rather just not. And if I do, it's like a once every few months thing. Mm. And, and yeah, there's shyness that goes into it. There's anxiety and mental health that goes into it. But but yeah, doing all this stuff, it's I just do it because I like it. It doesn't cost too much energy versus if I go to a networking event, I have to repeat my introduction a thousand <laughs> times to the same different people. I have to tell the same story. I have to perceive myself as a certain way. It, yeah, that, that sucks the life out of me versus like a podcast. <clears throat> I'm with a guest that I'm comfortable with, I can relate to, or my YouTube channel. It's literally just me just sort of talking to a camera. And that that's fine because I set the constraints for myself. So hmm. that's interesting that you said that there's a certain degree of introducing yourself to someone and doing that over and over at a networking event. Yes, that is as painful in a way. It would be nice to have like some holographic representation or some text that just comes up when you meet someone and they'll know it or you can just telepathically yeah. say all of this and they'll know who, what you do and there's also that anxiety even if you're extroverted there's still anxiety when you talk about yourself and you think about like am i genuinely these things or there's that self-doubt sometimes it creeps in and Am I just presenting an illusion or am I all those things? At least in my case, that happens. So I get that. And I think the trick is to take it easy sometimes and, and just everyone is just there for a networking event because they're doing the mm -hmm. same stuff you are. So it becomes easier when, when we go about it that way. I mean, even then, just like you don't need to have a specific kind of personality type to have a podcast or a YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean... You, you'll probably see it and you probably feel the same, but like even the most extroverted people, they find it uncomfortable in the beginning. It's just getting the reps in to the point where you are comfortable talking to yourself <laughs> in yeah. camera and just hitting publish right after that. So no, no specific personality type needed, introverted, extroverted, in between, whatever. It's the just, reps. You just do it until you get comfortable. Yeah, exactly. And there's that uh, aspect of speaking to the camera as if you're speaking to someone, like addressing someone right now. And uh, and that happens. And it's weird at the start. And then you get used to it. I think that's part of being a creator is that you have to get through that mental block or that shyness or the self-doubt and, and just hit publish. I think someone who came on an earlier episode said that you won't make 100 shitty versions of anything. If you do something 100 times, then there's likely to be some progress. So tell me more about the content that you create. I, I noticed that you do commentary videos on your channel. And I saw a few in the week leading up to this. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, it's a, why are you? it's a funny predicament I've put myself in over the but last year. Why that year. reaction? I, it's... <laughs> because I make some weird stuff sometimes. <laughs> well... Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the thing is, like I said, I, I put myself in this weird predicament where, and I didn't realize this at the start, but when you when you make content, you're making it for a specific person. Huh. I guess if you're doing it as a hobby and it's just whatever Lottie'd offer you, then I guess that doesn't matter. But if you like 
have a specific audience you want to reach out to and you eventually want to grow and monetize over span of a few years or something, then you have to care a little bit. <laughs> and for me, between everything I do, the audiences are widely different. For example, podcast, it's meant for black professionals in tech and anybody in the black tech community would want to listen to it. And then my newsletter, which may or may not be ending, I don't know yet. It basically just, it's meant for creators because I share my content creator experience. I share advice, tips, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then the commentary channel, that one was mainly just, it started off being a tech channel, like a vanilla tech channel. Like if you ever go back, look at my oldest videos, it's just about tech tips. And I talked about my experience at Slack. I'm actually still proud of that video no matter what. But I was just like, I hate this. <laughs> so I, was, I was just like, I don't care about tech like that. Like, I care about the black tech community because I resonate with it strongly. And I care about helping other people with that platform. But on YouTube, I'm just like, I, I can't do it. I don't want to write about it. I don't want to talk about it. I think the most, again, the best and my most favorite video about tech was that Slack video because I'm just speaking from the heart and in hopes of helping someone else learn how to get an internship. But other than that, I, it's not content I care about. And for me, the content that I, we always do it, but we always daydream about ourselves being these con big content creators with millions of subscribers or thousands of subscribers making the content. And for me, I really just like commentary videos, not the toxic ones that talk about drama all day. I'm not into that, but the Jarvis Johnsons, the Cody Coes, the mm. Noel Millers of commentary, they're just really funny. And they just, sometimes they react to stuff, they talk about it, they give their opinion, and people like it. And for me, watching that, like, from a few years ago to now, it's it's funny. And even while watching it, before I started my channel, I was like, I could I could do the same thing. I, th I think I'm kind of funny, you know? I, I, I have some thoughts I could share. But I never did it because... With YouTube, it's easy to feel like it's too late on the platform. But actually, when you when you get started on the platform, you realize it's not too late because, say, for example, you started your channel 2015. That's like six, five-ish, six-ish years ago, right? Mm -hmm. You would think it's too late, right? Because everyone from that started the channel in 2010, they've already made it, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But the people that started in 2015, they have like millions of subscribers now and they're like fully monetized and making this full time thing. So imagine starting now, 2021, five years later, 2026. I don't think YouTube's going anywhere. In fact, I think it's going to get bigger than what it is now. I didn't even think it was going to get as big as it was in like five years ago. Mm. And it's crazy because I've been watching since 2010 and I didn't anticipate it would be the way it is now. So yeah just a long-winded way of saying my content pieces are very different from each other but i enjoy them all in different ways and so yeah commentary slow in terms of growth no one's actively searching for that versus like if i made a channel on i don't know product management mm -hmm. people actively search for that <laughs> so slow growth but i i enjoy what i do so that's important. I feel there's always like different parts of your personality that need to be stimulated in different ways. And I think if you ignore like one part of your personality, then it, it catches up with you 
a little later. So if, if you really enjoy doing this, then you should go for it. Would you mind if I put you in a spot and talk about one of the content videos which I saw? Sure. It's, <laughs> sure. It's in a, in a general, it's, I'm just saying how it appealed to me. I'm not here to kind of shred it or something. No, no, go for it. I, I think I just have self-confidence issues with commentary. No, videos, it's fine. Go ahead. Uh, it's totally fine. It was that video about dating and it was like, why is dating for Gen Z difficult? And I wanted to ask you your thoughts on that because, I mean, you could go ahead and summarize what you said in the video but dating in general mm -hmm. is very difficult already i would say i am a millennial and it's not gotten easier or something <laughs> at least as a gen z you have time on your hands and a so, hope for a bright future so yeah one can only hope but when that was one of my first commentary videos if not the first commentary video i made mm -hmm. i didn't do as much research as i could have and i think i was pretty nervous kind of speaking my feelings on that because for me it's a touchy subject and and yeah the fact that i put gen z in the title was already like pushing the boundary a little bit i don't know with youtube it's weird because you know you're supposed to be a little quick baity but at the same time you want to appeal to other people but mm. but yeah like with that video i think i was just going through a rough time <laughs> just because yeah with my parents or i guess older generations it's like it's as easy as just walking up to someone and just saying hey let's get together do something and just being like okay <laughs> or which i don't agree with this not even today but just c consistently bugging someone until they say yeah that's what my dad did to my mom <laughs> yeah it's like the stuff we see in the movies like from those 80 90s films uh -huh. it actually worked back then for the most part but today's kind of different and for me i Something I regret not talking about in the video was just basically it's like a it's just a meat market on these dating apps. It's it's just a meat market. Mm. Like we've come so far to just look at someone for how as how they look versus like what's on the inside and adding on to just being in a generation where things move so quickly, especially with technology, it's like you're swiping so quickly, you don't even consider that these are people. Mm -hmm. And we're all guilty of it, unfortunately, but that's that's just the situation of the matter. And with that video, I was just, I was heartbroken. So I think I was just talking about my feelings mm. and just describing like, yeah, for older generations, it was less stressful and people were more open-minded. But today, the way things are on Instagram, social media, the way you're perceived to have a perfect relationship in TV shows, very unrealistic. It just warps everyone's way of thinking and it's just a crappy time to be dating. It is. And uh, you're right about the older generation. My parents had an arranged marriage and uh, they didn't have much of the pursuing and all of that. My mom had met a total of one time before deciding. <laughs> and and that's an option. I, I, <clears throat> I consider going down that path, but I didn't because it just felt very inorganic and to be honest i've gone down like all of those different paths and it is difficult you're, you're right about the meat market aspect because i feel like our generation has too many options the next video which will entertain me or the next song or the next shot it's a very consumption oriented generation that we have what is next what is next what is next mm -hmm. so we treat people the same way Who's next? Who's next? Not really considering that 
yeah there's a person or like actually seeing uh what they're like and getting to know them and i think you, from personal experience that that fairy tale romance even i i got caught up in that as well and then it happened at the start of the pandemic heartbroken same story so i can empathize a lot with that and you handled it a lot better than i did i went down a really bad path but you created art out of it in a way so yeah 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 very very well said like it like you said it's just like we're even maybe it isn't even a generation things at times at least when it comes to the overconsumption of content and just life moving so quickly mm-hmm. cuz yeah whatever feed you're on social media there's just so much <laughs> like you hit refresh there'll be something <clears throat> new every 10 seconds and it's just when do we have just a minute just to take in the thing previously for a little bit and let that sink in because for me as someone that likes to learn new things about content creation life whatever it's really easy to get up caught up on twitter linkedin for example and just bookmark all these different articles these different threads that are useful and just never read them because it's it's just too many options and things move way too quickly so i i agree with you yeah and that's how the the system is designed it's designed to make you miserable because that's what instagram is instagram is an ad wedged between two posts that make you miserable and if you're not miserable then who's going to buy their shit that's pretty much it and yeah there's too many options because if you see online dating you might be in a relationship with someone you might still have the app to see is there someone better coming along and yeah it doesn't work like that i don't know how uh, people i think what was different for the previous generation was availability as well because now we are too available to each other i think chris rock or kevin hart spoke about this but he said that a 2 year relationship now with a partner is like a 10 year relationship for my father because my father when he left for work he just kind of didn't see his partner throughout the day now we have them on our phones and we constantly see them and we're always in touch through messenger and what not mm-hmm. so maybe availability is also a, a probable reason for relationship fatigue i don't know and as that could have been amplified by the pandemic who knows yeah and i got to say the feelings this pandemic's wild but the pandemic really enhanced a lot of those feelings for me too like, i i don't know what it is but i think just the feeling of being alone like 24/7 just really made me feel some kind of way because before the pandemic i i could care less mm-hmm. about this stuff i just wanted to live my life and just graduate and move on to like a different city but being alone in this pandemic 24/7 like I don't know. It just enhanced a lot of loneliness, I guess. Mm. Yeah, it's it's normal. I think a lot of it stems from I think in the third part of your video you mentioned that there is that inner fulfillment that is lacking that we are seeking outside. I think that was the theme of it. And I think that's the root of what we need to do and find out why we feel that we're not enough sometimes and It is crazy. It's like a crazy time to be honest. Like who would expect that you'd be in your home locked up with your feelings 24/7 dealing with I I didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I say it like almost every day, but it helps me feel better, but it's I say that this pandemic has been both a blessing and a curse. A a curse because obviously humans are not 
meant to live like this. And I fear for the children of the world <laughs> with what they're going through. Their growth is being stunted. And But anyways, that, that aside, it's a curse because, yeah, you're not supposed to be in your house for almost two years straight and just do nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing except go to the grocery store, maybe see some family members if you're vaccinated or even before you're vaccinated if you want to risk that, which is scary. And then just being confined with your thoughts 24-7 that you haven't given yourself time to deal with or think about. But then that's kind of the flip side of like the blessing of it is, oh, life has slowed down for me in a way so I can think about things I do care about or try and work through the problems I've been putting off because with life, it's very easy to be not on zombie mode, mm. uh, auto, auto mode, something <laughs> in life. It's very easy to just be on auto of like, okay, going to school, going to work. I'm doing this, hanging out with friends, going to dinner, doing this, getting ready for the next day, downtime, repeat, rinse, repeat. And of course, every day might be different, of course, pre-pandemic, but even then, you're not really reflecting on anything. You're not going back to your why of why you do the things that you do. Like, do I actually care about this job? Maybe, but I'm still going to do it. But during the pandemic, it's like, oh, well, no, I actually don't like software engineering, and I don't think I can see myself in it. Hmm. And it is just having that time to not only think about things, but explore because without this pandemic, I don't think I'd have a podcast or a YouTube channel or, or anything I'm doing right now. So blessing and a curse at the same time. Yeah, it has definitely had a twofold effect. And I think the reinvention has been a theme for a lot of people because they're faced with those feelings that we've been, they've been shoving down through escapism. And now you can't escape anymore. You're facing what you're meant to be facing. And I think people have two types of reactions to it. One, they might just break down and, and stop functioning. The other, they might actually learn from it and maybe find a more fulfilling way to live. Yeah. So as a student, do you have any sort of ritual that you keep right now during this pandemic to keep yourself sane or fulfilled during the day? Mm, well, I took a I took a gap year last starting last year because mm -hmm. when all this happened, spring of spring quarter twenty twenty, because I'm on the core system in the UC system, I was wow. <laughs> I've never felt so much burnout my entire life. Mm. Like classes, I was doing well, and it just went down the toilet because I wasn't sure what I could do. Like the library's locked down, everything's locked down. I have to study in my bedroom. I have to do everything in my bedroom. And Davis, very small town. There's no place for leisure. Restaurants are closed down. Everything is closed down. So I'm just forced to be in the same place. And then you fast forward to the quarter ending, and I go into that internship, 40-hour work week. Remember, it's <laughs> there's no break in between that. Like, yeah, I had maybe three weeks of break before the internship started, but it was just like a break of just dealing with what was going on with the world and the government and politics. And it was way too much stress. Like I was trying to deal with my bad grades. I had suffered from the quarter while also trying to deal with that. And then I have to go to work <laughs> for three months straight. So I made the executive decision for myself, my mental health to take a, a gap year. Cause I was like, 
I can't do this. Like, I can't go through spring, the summer, working 24-7. And then I have to go through school remotely for another year straight. And then I have to interview all throughout school for a job. And then I might be starting my job next year. And that's just two straight years of burnout. <laughs> and I, I really didn't want to do that. So I, I took a gap year. And right now, I, I would say I'm still, I'm going to have to be getting used to being a student again, because I took a long break. And I'm, I'm just not used to it. So as far as staying sane goes, it, it comes across like I had these really wow <laughs> moments, or as people say, come to Jesus moments, I guess, <laughs> of, of realization of this is what I want to do. This is why I started this thing. No, I, I struggled a lot this last year and some months. And I, I was not sane for a while, still kind of not, but just knowing how to ask for help knowing how to talk to friends and family about when I'm struggling and just finding pastimes outside of my phone. Cause geez, I thought I was on my phone all the time before the pandemic, <laughs> during the pandemic, you're like averaging 10 plus hours and it's crazy mm. hey, because for some people, that's all you, all you got. And for me, all I had is consecration, which at times can lead to burnout if that's all I'm doing to stay sane or I have my phone, ton of social media, Netflix, YouTube, which I consume so much of it every day. It's just, it hasn't been good for me. But lately, I've just been taking breaks, you know, sounds simple enough, but that's how I stay sane of like taking breaks, being graceful and saying, you don't have to do this today if you don't want to. Everyone needs that, to be honest. I myself had a, I have a gap year or gap year and a half or whatever this is right now i quit my job without a plan last year and i think it was the best decision i took because i was at that pretty much at the same stage like college ended i jumped into one job and then i left that job came for my masters again masters and then again back to work and it's been like pretty much going on and on and on and sometimes you need that break and you don't realize because once you get in that trap of getting that paycheck and it pays all the bills and everything is is fine because of the job, but then you don't realize that you need that break. I'm glad that you're doing that for yourself. And yeah. Yeah. Like it's literally next summer. I'm not even doing an internship next summer hmm. and I'm okay with that. Like I, I just don't have the mental energy to go through recruiting season this fall. Mm -hmm. And even then I have next fall if I wanted to, but Next summer, this is going to be a content creation summer. Like I just, I would rather do that than do a stressful, potentially stressful internship. So yeah, it's, it's a hard decision to make, but it doesn't have to be. And once you finally put your foot down and say, no, I don't want to do this. You'll feel like so much pressure and so much weight be released off of you. Mm -hmm. And I can say that for a fact. What's next for Miko? from a content creator perspective. What's next is figuring out how to systemize for myself. Because when you get into content creation for the first time, it's all fun, right? It's it's like puppy love. <laughs> <laughs> puppy puppy love but for content. 
everything's fun everything's new it's very easy to dive into youtube videos articles twitter threads whatever to learn how to get better every day but once you're like really in the thick of it i think of like the sweet spot of hitting maybe 15 to 20 somethings of like 20 episodes of something or 20 videos or something it's like you kind of hit that spot of wanting to kind of stop because if you do something every day or every week consistently it's it can kind of lead to burnout a bit. And I know people like really push the daily grind or whatever, and kudos to you if you can do that. But for some of us, it's not that easy to do something so consistently every day. So for me, my next steps are to systemize so that I can still do the things I love because I love it. I love podcasting. I love my YouTube video. Don't get me wrong, but sometimes it's just way too much. And I haven't published my podcast for like a month or something because I don't have a system. But having a system for my YouTube channel, after a few months, I've actually got it down for the most part. And it just comes with outsourcing and time blocking and doing the things you need to do that work best for you. Because we always think we have to do everything for our audience. And, and we should to an extent, right? But you got to put yourself first. And for me, I'm putting myself first and just figuring out how can I do this effectively without burning myself out while still loving it. So... Mm. That's what's next for me. That's great. Before we go, do you have uh, a message for our listeners today? I guess a message I would have would be not to just get started, but to just continue through the process as best as you can. Because getting started, they I don't agree with when people say in their books or their articles, like, getting started is the hard part. I'm like, well, kind of. <laughs> like, talking to a camera very awkward that's probably hard or publish hitting publish for the first time that's very hard and yeah when you once you get used to those things it's pretty easy but i think it's just continuing with it and knowing when to stop that is those are the most difficult things and when i say continuing with it just see through the process of like do i actually like it because that matters most because yeah do we all want to make money from making content and doing it full time. Of course we do. But going back to my YouTube channel, I can make tech videos and probably get monetized way quicker because I'll come up and search keyword search, but mm -hmm. I don't care about that. <laughs> and it'll come across in the videos versus like commentary. I love it so much that I could probably keep up with this for probably six more months without burning out and just saying, screw the channel. So figuring out if you actually like it through the process. And I would recommend just, I, I mean, the law of 100, I thought I could do it, but I'm just going to say the law of 50. <laughs> I'm coining that term, the law of 50. Do something 50 times, consecration-wise, and then at the end, make the decision, executive decision. Do I like this? Do I want to continue with this? Because you're doing it. No one's holding a gun to your head and saying you have to continue. And at times, you just feel like we have to. So do it 50 times and see how you feel at the end of it. So I think... My messy message <laughs> is just enjoy the process, try it out, see what happens at the end because you hold the keys to it. Mm. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us today, Kamiko. It was awesome to have you. If you haven't done it already, please uh, follow Kimiko at Kimiko underscore James on Twitter. And you can also subscribe to her newsletter at createathoughts.substack.com dot com and you can also uh, subscribe to her youtube channel 
under Miko J. It was great to have you on. Yeah, yeah, I, I love being on. It was a uh, it's a pretty fun episode. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like and comment on the video and do subscribe to our channel. And if you'd like to get updates on our podcast every week, subscribe to our newsletter at theartconduit.com/slash subscribe. Thank you so much. See you next week.